Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros, and welcome to Episode 15 of the Channel Journeys Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's great to have you here. Hey, this is Rob Spee, your host and also the founder of Channel Journeys Consulting, where I partner with my clients and help them accelerate the development of their channel business and the growth in their channel sales. My guest today is focused on the channel marketing side of the house. Her name is Heather Margolis. She is a channel marketing maven, and she is also the founder and CEO of Channel Maven Consulting. So Channel Maven Consulting is focused on helping IT vendors improve their channel marketing, both to and through their channel partners. In this podcast, you're going to hear Heather provide a lot of valuable tips on how you can be more effective in your channel marketing. You're also going to learn about Heather's own channel journey, how she got started with the consulting business that she built. She's actually a fourth-generation entrepreneur, and it runs in the family. Both her and her husband, they sold their home, moved to Boulder, and both launched their own separate companies. It's a great story. Let's hear all about it. Here we go. Good morning, Heather Margolis, Channel Maven in Boulder, Colorado. How are you today? Morning. I am great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. I've been looking forward to having you on the show. We hear a lot about the Channel Maven, or at least I do. I don't know if our listeners all do or all know who you are and what you do. So tell us all about you and your company. Sure. So I am a recovering channel professional. I like to joke. (laughs) I am from Massachusetts and the Boston area and uh, recently, actually eight years ago, so I don't know if we can call it recently, moved out to Boulder. But when I was in Massachusetts, I started Channel Maven 10 years ago. We just turned 10 on March 1st. Congratulations. Thank you. It was, yeah, it's kind of a big deal as an entrepreneur to look back and see that you you made it over another milestone. So we are a small boutique consultancy agency out of Boulder, Colorado now. We have about 20 people on the team focused on communications to partners and helping the IT vendor and telecom vendor really communicate to partners without bombarding and then demand gen through partners, whether that's content or picking a marketing on a tool or doing managed marketing services where we help the partner usually paid for by the vendor. So you started 10 years ago. You've had probably quite a journey along the way. What do you think has changed the most in channel marketing over that 10 years? Sure. So I think our partners are more savvy than they were. I think when you move from a typical reseller or a VAR to a managed service provider, you're talking to someone who has a better sense how to target their prospects. They certainly don't have the time to do marketing, but at least when you're having those conversations, it's a little different. I remember back in 2009, talking to a partner who said, Heather, you'd be so proud of me. I found $5,000 and I went and got a billboard. And you know, I don't know if you can hear me smack my head on my forehead, but, <laughs> my hand on my forehead, but that's certainly what I did. And now we're, we're just having a different conversation. It's how do we make this happen as opposed to you know what is account-based marketing? And I think marketing has changed. I mean, if I told you 10 years ago that if you looked at a piece of content on a website, then the next time you were shopping for something or on Facebook or on a different platform, it would follow you. That ad would follow you around. You know, you would think it was too Big Brother-esque and that I was crazy, but that's what's happening. It does feel that way sometimes. Yes. 
So what is your sweet spot? Are you working more with the channel vendor? I, yes. I should say the vendor or the supplier versus the channel partner? Yes. We work with some really amazing clients today. And they're the big IT vendors out there that you hear all about and we all talk about. And it's so interesting to see how the different teams work and how much they are the same. But yes, our primary, I would say 98.5% of our business comes from the vendor side. And then if it is through the partner side, it's because the vendor brought us on to help a partner for a quarter, let's say, and then the partner re-upped. There are a lot of aspects to channel marketing that vendors should be thinking about. And then there are many ways to, to do channel marketing. I'm thinking of email and direct mail and social media, events, webinars. What's the sweet spot? Where should vendors be focusing or where do you focus your efforts? I think the challenge there is all of them to to some degree. Someone once asked me, I was doing a workshop to vendors where I was training them how to better communicate to their partners without bombarding. So back off email a little bit, aggregate a lot of your communications, use social through your executives. And somebody raised their hand and said, okay, so we're doing all of this new stuff. We're getting more involved with social. What can we take off our plate? And unfortunately, the answer is nothing. Everyone likes to receive information in different ways. So you'll have the partner that really prefers email. You have the partner that really prefers social. You have the partner who wants to get a text from their channel account manager. So there are a lot of different ways that the vendors need to be communicating to partners. And then also, it's all about a multi-touch, right? So if you send me an email and I'm in the middle of my really busy day, I might see the email, but then immediately forget about it. Later on in the day, when I want to see what's going on and I log into LinkedIn just to catch up and see what my network is doing, and then I see the message again, I say, oh, that's right. I need to go back to that email and download or register or sign up for whatever it was talking about. So the social really improves the email. Yeah, because a lot of people wonder, is anybody reading email these days? And it's getting so difficult with GDPR to get good email lists and make sure that everyone's opt-in. Yeah, I mean, we much prefer if you get a list... Nurture that list first on LinkedIn. So connect with that list first on LinkedIn. Start posting relevant content so that they feel like they have a relationship with you and and that you're building your ethos as a thought leader. And then send an email because they're more likely to open or click. You mean I can't just buy a list of 10,000 names and go and spam them and expect a great return? You could do whatever you want, but no, you should not expect a great return. We've actually seen, we had a solution provider that we were helping through a vendor through MDF and they bought a list, sent an email and literally had zero opens. And I mean, I've seen, you know, 1% open, half a percent open, zero opens is pretty, pretty impressive. Well, it's impressive and a good indication that you're not doing something right. Exactly. But time to change the strategy. So you rely pretty heavily on social to nurture that audience and start building up that connection. Right. So email doesn't go away. It just, something has to happen first. And the same is true of telemarketing or telesales. You can't just pick up the phone and expect not to get hung up on. But if you nurture them and say, you know, oh, we're connected on LinkedIn and I sent you an email that you opened a week ago and you downloaded the piece of content, then that's a more interesting conversation. Then it's, I'm sorry, I'm bothering you on the phone. When's a better time to talk? Yes. Yeah. That multi-touch, that makes a lot of sense. What about texting? 
Is that starting to catch on yet? I think texting has to come with a relationship first. I think if a channel account manager, you know, channel account managers build such strong relationships with your partners, with the vendor's partners, mm-hmm. that it they invite each other, each other to their holiday parties and kids' birthday parties. And that's when you can text, when you have a relationship with the person one-on-one. It's not about, we're just going to send text notifications, unless that is something that they have signed up for. Right. Right. That relationship is so huge. And that reminds me, Heather, when my first job as a channel manager, that was the favorite part was building those relationships. And I was just telling a friend the other day about how I was invited to their weddings. I went to a wedding in, in Switzerland. I went to a wedding in Mexico. I was doing international channel sales. And, and that was so cool, building that close relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, we are in the channel, which by definition is about building some sort of a relationship, right? There's an alliance, there's a relationship, there's something there. So we can't just do it with our organizations. We have to do it as people as well. A few weeks ago, I had Laz Gonzalez on the show and he made some really interesting observations around the comparison of through channel marketing and two channel. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out that if you're not doing the two channel marketing, your through channel marketing is going to be a lot less successful. Do you agree with that? I do. We always provide a launch. So if an organization puts up a marketing automation tool and they just, you know, it's not the, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, then you need to launch it and you have to put communications around it. And it's not just at the time of the launch. It's every week you're checking in what's new on the marketing automation tool. What's new with the different resources we have, what's new in our program, what's new in our, our product. So it really is incredibly important to be able to support through channel marketing first, because you want to show them, you know, do as I say, and as I do, you want to show them the right way to communicate with people. But then also, if you have all these great resources that you put all this time into, you want to make sure partners are using it, they need to know about it. How much of it is also just maintaining that mind share with the partners who are probably engaged with many other vendors and have a zillion things on their plate? Right. Five to 25 different vendors partners work with today. So if you think about, we, you know, tend to sit down with our clients as we're getting engaged with them and say, okay, how many emails are you sending? And when they think about it, it's between anywhere between 20 to 30 emails per month. So it's like an email a day. And a lot of people say, no, 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 but we segment our list. Right. But you segment your list based on how the partner designates themselves. I am guessing some of your partners are on both the solution provider and the systems integrator and the MSP list. You know, they think they want all the information. So if they're getting 30 emails a month from you and they work with 20 different vendors, they're, it's way too much email for sure. And you're definitely losing the message because I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and think, okay, what are the things I can delete right away? Like, what are the things I get every day and I can just delete? Cause it's not to me. Right, right. Yeah. What goes automatically into the junk? Yeah. So how do they be more effective? I guess that's one question with email. And I'm also wondering, what are your thoughts on that partner newsletter? And is anybody reading it? So we love aggregation. We really like being able to put everything in one place and training the partners to read it or to use it. So a lot of times it's making sure everything's always in the same place. So if there's like, information for the salespeople or marketing people or technical people that they are always in the same place on the newsletter or segmenting your newsletter to those audiences. A little note, salespeople need to be in the top left because they will not look 
farther down. And technical people can look, their information can be farther down because they are technical and they start at the top and end at the bottom. Very detail-oriented. So I think the newsletter is certainly beneficial, but it has to be written as what's in it for them. So the biggest mistake we see is the vendor saying, you know, let's say it's vendor XYZ. Vendor XYZ won this award. Vendor XYZ launched this program. Vendor XYZ has this resource. That's not what it is. It's you are now tied to this company that has this award. So you can tout that award. You now can sell more to your customers because we have this great resource. So it always has to be what's in it for the partner. The first five words. I mean, it can't even be further down than that. Right, right. What are some other tips that you would give channel marketers on the vendor side to be more effective in their marketing to the partner or in their campaigns that they're running with the partner out to the end user? So to the partner, it's aggregation and it's leveraging things like social and building relationships. So think about how your executives can become more personable to the partners. I think of Alyssa Fitzpatrick with Microsoft. She is a big deal. And yet she is super active on social. She's engaging with her partners. She's having great conversations. If you ever hear her speak, she has all these anecdotes of things that have happened with partners because she's getting to their level. And there are a lot of channel executives that do that right. The through partner marketing, you know, I think it's more handholding than you think it is. And think about those campaigns that you're loading into a marketing automation tool. Would you want to receive an email like that? Just something to think about. Make sure that your people's habits have changed. Make sure your marketing automation tool is changing as well. Are there, I don't know if you want to dive into technology, any, any favorites that you have on terms of, or maybe capabilities that you like rather than giving names? For marketing automation, you mean? Yes. You know, I think it's important that whatever it is, portal, PRM, marketing automation, that it's easy for the partner to use. I think mm-hmm. you partners are so busy today. And when I think about myself, And the, you know, I'm like looking at my phone, thinking about the apps that I use on a regular basis. They're stupid simple because chances are I'm walking from one meeting to another, glancing at that app. So it better be something that is pretty easy to execute. I need apps where the, all the things that I need to do are on the right-hand side of the screen because that's as far as my thumb can reach when I'm walking. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, You're having great success with your company. You're providing a huge value to your clients. Can we dive a little bit into your your success with Channel Maven on your 10-year anniversary? Thank you. So going back, you were in Massachusetts. You studied marketing. I saw you got an MBA in marketing. Then you had some marketing leading into channel marketing roles. What gave you the idea of, I'm going to jump out of this corporate world and just start my own company? So I'm actually a fourth-generation entrepreneur. And it kind of was never a question as to whether or not I was going to start a company. It was when and what kinds. So I grew up with parents who were both running their own businesses. I also saw a lot of examples of how not to run a business. And I went to Babson for my MBA, which is very entrepreneurial. And anyone who's thinking about an MBA and is single, I would highly suggest not marrying someone who also has their MBA and is looking to start a business because we have two completely different businesses. You're speaking from experience, I take it. Yeah. My husband founded and runs Good Day Chocolate, which is a chocolate with supplements, totally opposite end of the spectrum, right? Really? 
products using Whole Foods. In some ways, it's great. I mean, we had to have a whiteboard in our house at all times. And when we're having a problem, whether it's, you know, how to potty train the two-year-old or it's with a business, we're whiteboarding it. But I always knew I wanted to start a company and came out of business school full-time and went to work at a vendor, an IT vendor, and just immediately was sort of like, why aren't we asking our partners if they want this? You know, we're, we're spending millions of dollars to build a resource that we haven't even asked them if this is something they'll use. So left there, went to a startup. We were then acquired by another enterprise company. And yeah, it just sort of felt like I was ready and I had the bug. Timing could not have been worse. My husband had decided <laughs> to start a company and we sold our house. We sold our semi-nice car and kept the beater and just lived at 30 years old, lived like college students for, you know, probably just up until about four years ago. You guys were all in on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just wasn't a question. The question wasn't whether or not to be an entrepreneur. It was how. Like, we both needed a vocation. So, yeah, it has always been in the plan. Well, that's really cool. So, you know, I just launched my consulting business, Channel yeah. Journeys Consulting. Yeah. So. I want to benefit from the experience that you gained. Tell me a little bit about starting out and how you started winning over those first clients and gaining their confidence in you and what you could do for them. Initially, starting with my network, just reaching out to my network and asking where I can help. I have to... Tony Clayton Hine was a huge advocate of mine and certainly helped in the early years and, and really just reaching out to people to see what I could do. And I think a little bit, you know, I was no kids, no, at that point, no mortgage. We, I was willing to take work just to get the experience and not necessarily get paid what the market would bear. And really just going to events and networking and putting myself out there on LinkedIn. That's when LinkedIn groups were really big. Mm -hmm. so posting into LinkedIn groups pretty often. The thing that I've always been, you know, that you learn a lot in business school about the 80-20 rule 80% of your revenue coming from 20% of your clients. And that was something I never wanted to have happen. So we've been really fortunate. I mean, we have worked with probably 50 to 60 vendors over the years and at any given time have programs with a lot of different companies so that we're not tied to one client. Mm -hmm. Oh, I jumping back a little bit. So you were in Massachusetts before. Now you're in Boulder. Did you guys do like the Jeffrey Bezos, throw everything in a car and head west? That was the plan. It's not, unfortunately, what ended up happening. So we definitely, my husband was not from Massachusetts and I am a proud mass hole. <laughs> Driving one day. And I don't know any of you listening, if you've ever driven in Massachusetts, I'm sure you can relate to my husband. There's a huge, in the middle of Newton, there's a huge street sign, like a highway street sign that says Charles Bank Road that way. Charles Bank Road is tiny. It's like an on-ramp to Soldier's Field Road, which is Storrow Drive, which is a super busy street. Not street, it's a throughway. And he said, why doesn't it say Soldier's Field Road that way? And I said, because if you don't know Soldier's Field Road is that way, you should not be driving. And uh, which is such a masshole thing to say. Um, and he said, that's it. I'm done. We're moving. So we made a list of all the places and the things that were important to us. So outdoor living and, and being active. Entrepreneurship, which I didn't realize at the time, but Boulder is a hotbed of entrepreneurs. I mean, yeah. there are throw a pebble, hit an entrepreneur. And just 
easy to get to the East and West Coast. So that was huge. And we moved to Boulder in 2011 thinking we're just going to pack up the car and drive out. And right before it was Thanksgiving and I was cooking and dropped a casserole dish and severed a tendon in my ankle. Oh, man. So I had surgery and then was in a cast for six weeks. And they said, you can't drive. You'll, you know, it's too dangerous for you to be driving for that long. And it was my right foot. So I couldn't help. He would have driven the whole way. So we flew and got the movers and the whole like, you know, leave one day, stay at my in-laws for two weeks and then show up in Boulder and all of our stuff is there type thing. Well, that was definitely a sign it was time to move and start. Exactly. (laughs) Where did you come up with the name Channel Maven or were people already calling you that? So Maven is actually a Yiddish term for someone who knows something about a specific topic. It's Yiddish. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I am Jewish and Yiddish was always in my house and it just, it just fit. I mean, I started blogging as Channel Maven and it's interesting when I went to start the company, I was trying to think of names and Joe Panettieri at the time was the VAR guy and said, what are you talking about? Just use the Channel Maven. It's perfect. So that, that is how Channel Maven was born. It is a great name. How did you go then from this Channel Maven, just getting started with a severed, what was it, a severed? Severed tendon in my ankle. Severed tendon to where you are today, where I would say you're really a thought leader and you're, you're invited to speak. You write a lot of great articles. How did you you know, kind of reach that over the course of the last 10 years? It was interesting. Moving to Boulder was a huge tipping point for the business. There were a lot of people here who wanted to, you know, had been consultants or had been writers or had been graphic designers, but wanted to teach yoga. So it was easy to start with contractors at first. Everyone in my family, other than my father and I are lawyers. So I knew that I could only hire contractors for a certain amount of time before they had to become employees, but it enabled us to get more business, to start moving through. And then to finally, now we're 18 employees. So it's been being in Boulder and having those resources was super helpful to be able to spread out some of the work. So people don't want to pay for my expertise if all we're doing is writing an email. They want somebody mm-hmm. who knows how to write a really good email. So it was really finding the, the exact right person for the job with channel experience. Everyone on our, on our team has channel experience who could take some of the work that they are a specialist at. And when did you start getting out on the like the speaker circuit and, and presenting and demonstrating that that thought leadership in, in the channel? That was pretty early on, even when we were in Boston. So I started in 2009. We moved here in January of 2011. I was out there speaking at events, just channel-focused events, because I was talking about something that no one else at the time was. I was talking about social media. And people kept saying, well, social media is for consumer products. And I think now, 10 years later, we know that's not the case. But there was no one else that really was starting to have those conversations. Yeah, I do remember those days. And we we were skeptical that there was a role for it right. in the channel. Is it Twitter? Is it LinkedIn? Are there any new platforms that people are using today that are effective? LinkedIn certainly for B2B is my go-to. Twitter, I tend to use more if I'm at an event and I'm trying to follow what's going on with the event. If there's a specific hashtag going on, then then that's where I turn to Twitter. We certainly are still somewhat active on Twitter, but it's not my my personal go-to. That's not what I'm looking at on my phone every day. Instagram has become the new, I think, 
you know, Instagram and Facebook are one, but for some reason, Instagram just fits more with B2B. And it's what I'm much more interested in on a day-to-day basis for me personally. So for my business and for me as a thought leader, it's LinkedIn. Twitter is great for events. And then Instagram on a more personal level. Like that's where you'll see a picture of me with my kids or my dog or something like that. But is that helpful from a business perspective for relationship building and making those connections? Certainly at events and certainly like if you are a vendor who is with a partner, taking a picture of the two of you and posting that is great. If you are having some sort of an experience that ties to business, Instagram definitely fits. What doesn't fit is Facebook. I mean, Facebook, I'll post our blog posts out there, but, and I'm, you know, friends on Facebook with people in the industry, but I don't see it as a place to prospect. I see it as a place to work with people I already know. Yeah. So if you have limited time, you can afford not to be doing Facebook. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, how about you, Heather, on the personal side? I had asked as a prep question, any adventures that you have may have had other than your severed tendon adventure to Colorado? <laughs> you know, certainly I feel like entrepreneurship is a huge adventure. That's a whopper. Yeah. It, that has really defined me. It's both, you know, as a kid, seeing people around me starting businesses all the way up through now, seeing people like you starting businesses and and having conversations and talking about what works and what doesn't. And I'm always happy to share the pitfalls I fell into so that other people don't experience them. But I think just in like, I think life's one big adventure, right? I mean, having now I look, my youngest is about to turn one next week. So we have a one-year-old, a three-year-old and two companies, and there might be something else in the works soon. So I think just <laughs> life in general is one big adventure, Rob. There's going to be some type of launch of, of one type or another, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Very fun. You are in the one of the meccas, I think, of the country for outdoor fun. Yeah. Are you big into hiking, skiing? We're big hikers. Because of the ankle, I've taken a break from skiing, but I feel like next year is my year. And yeah, we just love, I mean, you literally walk, we're right up against the foothills. So I look out my window and it's pretty hard not to want to throw on your sneakers and and go for a hike. So certainly hiking and the little ones provide constant outdoor entertainment. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Well, you have a great place to raise them to learn to love the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. Excellent. Anything about Heather K. Margolis that people don't know yet that our listeners might know. I was with a friend this morning and I said to her, what's something people don't know about me? Like, I just can't think of anything. I'm pretty much an open book. And she reminded me when I was in high school and even before that, I used to work on cars. So my dad had a lift in the garage and loved old cars and would buy one that had a good engine and one that had a good interior and one that had a good body. And over the course of years, we would put them together. So I have, and then in my own car, because of course, when that's who you're, you're being raised by, you don't get a brand new car. You get like the 12 year old nice car, Audi 5000. But man, did that, I used to walk out to it every morning and say, please just start and have the, <laughs> have the hydraulic clutch, not let go. Cause that happened once. But yeah, I mean, bleeding hydraulic brakes and changing out an alternator. And when I first met my husband, he got out of his car. We met in business school, but we were meeting somewhere for a date. 
And I said, whew, your catalytic converter is ready to go. And he was like, I don't understand a thing you just said. (laughs) And I pulled the WD-40 out and like sprayed his door because it was squeaking. So yeah, that's my, that's what people probably don't know about me is I am actually a pretty handy gal. I worked at a hardware store in high school too for Wow, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. And you still enjoy that kind of stuff? When I have time for it, which I really don't. So there are a lot of, you know, my husband always jokes, I thought I'd never have to call a plumber or an electrician marrying you, but I just don't have time for it anymore, nor the resources. So being in Colorado, I don't have a lift. I don't have, we, and we have leased cars now. So it's kind of nice just dropping it off and not worrying about getting covered with hydraulic fluid. Well, maybe when you have time or you're ready for that next career, you could be like Heather, the handy maven. That's it. <laughs> I'm sure it's super lucrative. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. The second, well, you never know. More and more people don't know how to do these things. So right. it might be a good career. Well, fantastic. Heather, it's been fantastic chatting with you. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. What shows are coming up where I might see you? So definitely channel partners, maybe serious decisions. We're trying to figure out our schedule. Definitely back D channel focus. And then definitely women of the channel West. Women of the channel West. Okay. When is that? So channel partners is in two weeks, right? May, April 9th through 11th, Serious Decisions the week of May 6th, Baptiste the week of May 14th, and Women in the Channel West is the week of May 22nd. So they're all, yeah. I'd noticed uh, it was in CRN, a recent CRN magazine, and they had a listing of all their events. Yeah. And there were a ton of Channel Women events. Yeah. There seems to be a bigger and bigger push on that. I think it's huge. And I think it's really beneficial to those of us who have been in tech companies for a really long time. I always look at it as, you know, we're not just trying to collaborate and coordinate because we're women. We're trying to collaborate and coordinate because we have things in common outside of that. And and having the career and the family and, you know, mostly most of us being the primary caregiver, although there are a lot of stay-at-home dads and dads out there who jump in when they can. There's also BAPTI Channel Focus has a women's channel leadership forum that first day. And I'll be doing some speaking there, which is pretty exciting. It's nice to be in that crew. Excellent. That'll be fun. Well, I will see you in Vegas. I will see you in Carlsbad for Channel Focus. I'll be out there as well. Any parting words for our listeners? You know, I am so excited to be getting back out there and having these great conversations. Would love to talk to people about what they're seeing. It's always so interesting to me to have those conversations about things that we may not be thinking about. And I'm really excited to be back on the road. I took a little hiatus with the kiddos and I'm back. (laughs) The channel maven is back. All right. Excellent. Great closing words. Thanks again, Heather. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Hey guys, that was a lot of fun chatting with Heather and she provided a ton of valuable tips. A couple that I really liked was talking about nurturing your partners, building those relationships, leveraging social media accounts like Twitter and of course LinkedIn and sharing valuable content with them. And also the idea that you need to nurture your email list. When you buy a list, don't just send out your emails. Nurture it first using LinkedIn and posting relevant content to build relationships before you start sending that email. You're going to get a lot better results. I also loved her fantastic entrepreneurial adventure story, two kids and two entrepreneurs, two businesses to run, and I got to check out her husband's Good Day Chocolate Company. And who knew? I didn't know that Maven is Yiddish for the girl who understands or knows a topic, so that's pretty cool. Anyway, next week, we have a MSP Maven. His name is Carl Palachuk. He is an MSP expert and IT business consultant and founder of Small Business Thoughts. 
You're going to love next week's episode. And if you love this episode, do me a great favor and go in and leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you might be listening to this podcast. That would be fantastic. I'll see you next week. Until then, have a great channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.